Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC in New York. And yes, this is Indivisible, the national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Trump presidency, Monday through Thursday nights at this time, when we try to get out of our political bubbles and listen to our fellow Americans even as we talk. And first things first, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Later this hour, we will have a Valentine's Day call-in for those of you who are in mixed political relationships. If your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse is on one side of Trump or certain American values and you're on the other, we will invite your calls in about a half hour to tell us if your relationship is being stressed by the State of the Union right now and in the spirit of Indivisible, to tell us something you have learned from your significant other, from their being politically different from you. Can we come together as a nation that much, at least on Valentine's Day? Those of you in politically mixed marriages or other relationships can help lead the way later in the hour. But the main thing we do here on the Tuesday edition of Indivisible each week is to see how the first 100 days of Trump are challenging American norms. And we are now 25 days in, or 26, depending on how you count. This first 100-day series is officially one quarter over as of right now. And so it's a good day to pull back the lens a little bit and take stock. Are important American norms being shattered in dangerous ways? Are old dysfunctional norms being challenged in ways that make us better? one 844 745-TALK, 844-745-TALK. People horrified by Trump or personally afraid because you're in a targeted group say don't normalize Donald Trump, that word normalize. You don't want the media to normalize Trump. You don't want the Democrats to normalize Trump because that would make things that are unthinkably threatening to you, to your family, to your friends, to your communities, to our country, seem like business as usual, right? And those of you who did vote for Trump, you want a new normal. You really want a new normal. Can we each get each other on this? On the anti-Trump side, um, for those of you who voted for Trump, you get that feeling of threat, right? That the things he has gotten away with, that other candidates haven't seemed to have gotten away with, threaten some important American norms for many folks in our country. They don't seem normal, his behaviors. Like for a president of the United States, no less a Republican president, to equate our nation's moral place in the world with Russia's. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Well, you think our country's so innocent? You've heard that Super Bowl. You think week- our country's so innocent? Sorry, you've heard that Super Bowl weekend exchange with Bill O'Reilly before, right? Now it has extra relevance with Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, resigning over lying about his contacts with Russia. 
And people get scared when they hear senior policy advisor Stephen Miller go on TV and sound like an authoritarian. The end result of this, though, is that our opponents, the media, and the whole world will soon see, as we begin to take further actions, that the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. The president will not be questioned. One sarcastic critic said it would have sounded better in the original German. Miller came off to many as seeming to threaten the norm of respect for the rule of law, even if you disagree with federal court rulings. Trump and company have seemed to flaunt the traditional norm of not using the presidency to make a profit for yourself or your family. Go buy Ivanka's stuff is what I would tell you. I'm going to go get some on myself today. You know that Kellyanne Conway clip from earlier this week, and you know the fact-checkers of the world haven't been getting much sleep lately because Trump and friends seem to not care about the norm of at least a plausible relationship with the truth, going beyond the already crass game of political spin into more than politicians before them just making stuff up. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. Or not. You know that Sean Spicer clip from day one, which has the mainstream media feeling forced to confront its normal rules of restraint so as not to shrink from the truth of what's going on. I was floored last week to hear the usually very reserved CBS Evening News with Scott Pelley begin like this last Monday. It has been a busy day for presidential statements divorced from reality. Mr. Trump said this morning that any polls that show disapproval of his immigration ban are fake. He singled out a federal judge for ridicule after the judge suspended his ban, and Mr. Trump said that the ruling now means that anyone can enter the country. The president's claims, whether imaginary or fabricated, are now worrying even his backers, particularly after he insisted that millions of people voted illegally, giving Hillary Clinton her popular vote victory. There's not one state election official, Democrat or Republican, who supports that claim. The February 6th CBS Evening News first minute. So the norm of truthiness, thank you, Stephen Colbert, the norm of not-for-profit public service, the norm of proclaiming American exceptionalism, the norm of not implying you might not follow a court order, it's only 25 days, and all those norms are fair game for conversation. All those clips were only from the last 10 days. That's how quickly things are moving. And they might not even feel so threatening to so many people if Trump didn't win by waging a campaign where the norm of basic respect for people seemed to get shattered over and over again, like in this very early Trump insult of POWs via John McCain. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years He's a war POW hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. And Trump uh, casting shade on religious difference, not just on Muslims, as is well known, but on other denominations of Christianity to make Ben Carson seem suspicious. Look, I don't have to say it. I'm Presbyterian. Can you believe it? Nobody believes I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. Boy, that's down the middle of the road, folks, in all fairness. I mean, Seventh-day Adventist, I don't know about. I just don't know about. That was during the primary season. And I didn't even play any of the gender stuff. But my point is that today, 25 days into the Trump presidency, 
They are not just proposing policies that people can debate from left and right and center and populist and other. They are calling into question American norms, standards of behavior that Trump began to violate on day one of his campaign. And remember, wasn't it wasn't going to be like this anymore by now. And I'll be at some point, I'm going to be so presidential that you people will be so bored and I'll come back as a presidential person. And instead of 10,000 people, I'll have about 150 people. And they'll say, but boy, he really looks presidential. No, I don't think anyone's bored yet. Do you? So as usual on our Tuesday night Indivisible shows, we will open up the phones for people who voted for Donald Trump and people who didn't vote for Trump. The first question for tonight, before we do our Valentine's Day activity a little later on, is our constant question, are important American norms being shattered in dangerous ways in the first 100 days of the Trump presidency? Are old dysfunctional norms being challenged in ways that make us better? 1-844-745-TALK, 844-745-TALK. And as your calls are coming in, we welcome a well-known norm watcher, James Fallows, national correspondent for The Atlantic, who was a speechwriter for President Jimmy Carter once upon a time and has reported not just from the Beltway, but from literally all over the interior of our country. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us on Indivisible. And do we have James Fallows? I can't hear him. I don't know if he can hear me. All right. You know what we're going to do while we get our line hooked up with James Fallows? We're going to take some phone calls from some of you because a lot of calls are coming in to answer our questions. Jennifer in Philadelphia, you're first up on Indivisible tonight. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for making the call. What are you thinking? Well, you know... I think, uh, it, you know, uh, as the, the me of caught uh, of the heightened emotions, uh, a lot, a lot of the, there's a seems like there's a lot of I don't know if it's uh, there's a real problem I think with uh, the fact that people uh, are they I know people are you know we have to admit our country I think uh, America Americans especially we. Uh, I think our country kind of, it, I think we need to be... Who's heightened emotions? You're talking about the people who are horrified by Trump, right? Like you don't get how heightened their emotions are. They can disagree with his policy proposals and things like that, but you think the Trump detractors are too inflamed? Yeah, uh, well, it's... There's, it's uh, on bo- yeah, both. I think both sides. Both could, sides. Uh, both uh-huh. sides can possibly, yeah, possibly be true. I, I think... Uh, as far as we're talking about with American norms being, uh, you know, destroyed and possibly rebuilt, everything like that, yes, it's a whole new game. This is it's unprecedented. We've never had a, we've never had a, a person like Trump as president before, and that you know, as they say, in, uh, <laughs> the demand, uh, how the fact that he's president to begin with, I think it it shows. Uh, People people want something new and scared. Jennifer, thank you very much for starting us off. Let's go to Austin. Yeah, so I'm talking like this. Can you hear me? One, two, three. Austin in Baton Rouge. You're on the air. Hi, Austin. Uh, Hey, thanks for taking my call. 
Uh, I would like to point out a dysfunctional norm that I think Trump is do, doing a good job breaking down. Uh, whenever, in that Bill O'Reilly quote that you played earlier, he talks about pointing out how we are uh, – the United States is not without blood on their hands. We are not the only country that are doing things wrong. And uh, just, just like Russia has killed innocent people, the United States has done a great job of killing tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of innocent people. Uh, so I think that it, it's unusual to hear a president speak like that and point out that, yes, mm -hmm. we do have blood on our hands. And uh, I think that that is a norm that uh, I think should be broken down. Austin, thank you very much. James Fellows, you there now? And we're still trying to connect with James Fallows. Forgive me, folks, for that. But we have lots of callers from around the country, like Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're on Indivisible. Hi. Hi. How are you this evening? Good. What are you thinking? Well, you know, what's funny about this discussion is that you say it's about breaking down norms. But isn't the norm always been that whichever party's in power, the other party's always doing things and saying they're they're wrong. They're overstepping their bounds. Um, I think if I were to say there was a specific norm that I have a concern with, it's that um, Trump, like you would have expected, is, is running the country like it's a business. Um, and in a business, when you're the head of it, it's kind of run like a monarchy. Um, but government doesn't work that way. And I, I get real concerned when I hear that from him that he won't um, accept information that violates what, what he needs in order to have people agree that he's 100 percent right, that he was 100 percent committed. I mean, to, to claim that, that the political election was rigged after you win, to me, just so that you can claim that you have the popular vote as well, mm -hmm. to me, just... It, it boggles my mind. Mike, thank you very much. And I take your other point, too, about norms being both parties accusing the others all the time of stepping over bounds of executive power. How many times do we hear that about Trump? Now we're hearing that about – I mean, how many times do we hear that about Obama? Now we're hearing that about Trump. Uh, so thank you for your call. And Mary in Manchester, Vermont. Mary, thanks so much for your call. You're on Indivisible. Thank you for taking my call. Well, basically, I have two points, and that is that um, the liberals or the left seem to have very short memories, one being that uh, you call Donald Trump insulting everybody. Well, they seem, you seem to forget Hillary calling all of Tr uh, Donald Trump supporters deplorables, which was not a very nice thing. The other thing is that all I hear all day is General Flynn and the ambassador and the phone call and this and that. They seem to forget that Barack Obama was filmed on TV on a live mic, unbeknowingly, with the Russian ambassador telling him, oh, just wait till I get reelected, then we can do whatever we want. They seem to forget all about that, don't they? He did say that. He certainly was caught saying we will uh, take the pressure off a little bit once the election is over. So, Mary, thank you very much. Now maybe we have James Fallows from The Atlantic. James, you there? 
Hey, Brian, we'll try this way, too. We're trying all our different communications means. Much, 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 much better. So many technological choices. James, do you make a distinction between ordinary policy debates and challenges to American norms? I think so, because in policy debates, you can you can say, well, we think this approach to health care is the right one or this is the wrong one or this approach to China is right or wrong. And there's something different about about whether you say, OK, these institutions of government are basically we're going to to accept them or not. I think you did separating ourselves from from uh, partisan division. You did see that in the last year and in the year since Justice Scalia died. Uh, with the idea of whether or not the Senate would even uh, consider a, a replacement for him, so it wasn't whether or not there, you know, that you thought this uh, nominee was too liberal or too conservative, but whether there would be actually consideration of one. I think that was that, that, that's actually the clearest way to look at a difference. I think between a policy disagreement and a, a norm disagreement. Norms are not always good, right? They're just what's become normal. Sure. And I think, you know, I happened to see last night the movie Hidden Figures, and there were all the norms there of that only white men were doing all the work. And then back when I was a kid in, in the 50s and 60s, the norms of governance included a lot of, of the Southern uh, Democrats in those days having a sort of a veto power over anything involving civil rights. But it, it becomes evident that the rules of constitutional governance go only so far, and there is a sort of comity with a T rather than a D of, of that each side will, will recognize the other's um, victories when it has them and let them uh, sort of enjoy the, the, the fruits of the powers that go with it, those, those victories. And so I think there's been a lot of discussion last year, too. You do ha- rely on these norms for a democratic system being able to ramble its way through. Um, progressives are always trying to tear down norms. A woman's place is in the home. Marriage is only for heterosexuals. States' rights allow for segregation. Public hangings are not cruel and unusual punishment. All these norms have changed because of progressive movements. So progressives would not always say preserve norms, but it seems like they are now. I think that, that that's a very fair and, and good point. And I think it does also raise the distinction between norms of what is socially acceptable, whether it's gender relations or race relations or any of the other things that, that you itemized, and the norms in which a a diverse country in which people from the very beginning have disagreed on matters of policy, as they did from – that was part of, of the solution that the founders were trying to work out of how you can manage when there are deep disagreements, when, when there are, are, are norms about whether – uh, the majority will take to do this or that. I, I think that's that's why, from my perspective, as somebody who didn't support Donald Trump, the most disturbing thing he said during the campaign was, "Would he accept the results of the election?" Well, you know, we'd have to wait and see how how they turned out. How they turned out. So, I, I would distinguish between those norms of what is socially acceptable and the norms of how people with different views will be able to balance and share and transfer power over the long run. James Fellows, hang on. We'll continue in a minute. This is Indivisible. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible, 
The number to call is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. I'm Brian Lehrer, and we continue with James Fallows from The Atlantic. And the question, are important American norms being shattered in dangerous ways in these first 25 days of the Trump administration? Or are old dysfunctional norms being challenged in ways that make us better? one eight four four seven five four talk or is it some of each for you? one eight four four seven four five talk eight four four seven four five eight two five five and let's take Greg in Montclair, New Jersey. Greg, you're on Indivisible. Hi. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for taking my call and I just want to say I'm also a huge fan of uh James Fallows, particularly his writing on China and the Atlantic. Um the point I wanted to make is uh, you know, Trump, before he came into power, people were definitely very concerned about him challenging the norms, uh, not just of our society, but also of our democracy. And in my opinion, uh, you know, Trump is not Hitler nor Stalin nor Berlusconi. I think that the closest uh, simile to him is Mohammed Morsi in Egypt, because he seems to be completely, he took his mandate, uh, you know, he was not elected by the popular vote. And he took his mandate to be better than what it was. And his administration has been plagued by scandal. So it looks like he won't be able to challenge any of these norms and regulations because he is just simply inept. James Fallows, what do you think? So, so I appreciate very much the, uh, the caller's compliments. Uh, thank you. I, I think it, here's a, another way I, I think about this distinction between cultural norms and, and governing norms. As the caller points out, uh, Donald Trump, won the Electoral College victory, and I think none, none of the Democratic opponents have suggested that he's not legitimately the president now, but he did lose the popular vote, as, as Trump himself has tried to suggest he didn't or was cheated out of it by, uh, by, by fraudulent votes. And the norm you would expect in most cases then, when somebody has that kind of divided mandate, is to reach out in some way, to say, I recognize that. So, for example, one version of the uh, of the inaugural address you might have have, have um, imagined is to say, I know that many of you, in fact, most of you, uh, wished for a different result today. But ours is a democracy that, that you know has this long tradition of, of, of the transfer of power. I'm going to do everything I can to earn your support and your uh, your trust over these uh, these years ahead. And so I think that that norm of trying to recognize the partial nature of his electoral success. Entirely legitimate. He is the president, but it was uh, with this, this mixed mandate. That, that's another area where I think his, his norms have been more perhaps like, uh, like Morsi's in, in Egypt. I hadn't thought of that comparison, but it is an apt one, I think. You know, I think Trump has heard that critique a lot, that he didn't reach out to the other side and to Americans unlike him in his uh, inaugural address. Let me play a clip from his inaugural speech that his supporters push back on, and they say, listen to this passage. And whether a child is born in the urban sprawl of Detroit or the windswept plains of Nebraska, they look up at the same night sky, they fill their heart with the same dreams, and they are infused with the breath of life by the same almighty Creator. So to all Americans in every city, near and far, small and large, from mountain to mountain, from ocean to ocean, hear these words. 
you will never be ignored again. Now, James Fallows, I gather you tortured yourself by reading all 57 <laughs> previous presidential inaugural addresses ever. Is that correct? Uh, that, that is correct. And the reason for that, for any, any listeners who might be thinking, what? <laughs> that, that back when I worked for Jimmy Carter, I, was, I played a part, not a main part, but a part in his inaugural address. And then it became his head speechwriter in the White House. And I guess I would say, yes, there was that part of the speech. But if you've read any of these other speeches, not even the whole entirety, but even any of them, you'll notice how how much they usually emphasize this idea that we need to pull together. We have been divided, but now we're going to find a way to find some common ground. The, the one, the speech I worked on of Jimmy Carter, it actually began, its very first words were thanking President Ford, whom Carter had just beaten in a very, uh, very bitter battle for what he had done to heal the nation after Richard Nixon's resignation. So, yes, there was that passage from Donald Trump's speech, but I can tell you if you're looking at Millard Fillmore or Calvin Coolidge or whatever, you're going to find more of that. Andrew in Troy, Michigan. You're on Indivisible. Hey, Andrew. Hi. I believe uh, I'm a Trump supporter, but I believe that Trump is, is really shattering our norms in two different ways. One, you see with populism, I believe that a populist had to win this election either way. You see the populist Bernie Sanders and the populist Donald Trump. And out of the two, Trump ended up winning. But you see that populism itself shatters our societal norms of the establishment. And, uh, and it's, it's really been brewing for, for many, many years. And there was a beautiful article in The Economist about it. Um, and so I think that's one way that Trump is shattering the norm, you know, having the audacity to say, you know, drain the swamp. Um, that's definitely shattering the norm. And, and do you think, you I'm know, just curious, do you think he's tra- draining the swamp? He's gotten a lot of pushback for saying drain the swamp and raising that as a populist norm and then appointing all these guys from Wall Street and stuff. Right. Well, whether he's doing it or not, which I believe that he hasn't fulfilled his promise on it, but the fact that he got elected on a campaign saying that is already shattering a norm in itself. Mm-hmm. Andrew, thank you. Thank you very much. And we heard that articulated in the inaugural address, too. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And that's all we're going to take of that. But you get the idea, James Fallows. Uh, yes, and I would say, actually, that is more consistent with American political rhetoric than some other thing that Donald Trump has said, that, that regularly, every 20 or 30 years, there is a successful presidential candidate whose theme is a version of this. Certainly, Ronald Reagan was in this spirit in, in 1980, beating Jimmy Carter, who in 1976, a lot of our campaign themes were, you know, a government as good as its people, but the people are better than the corruption that's set in the government. And you can go back, you know, FDR in his ways, and certainly Andrew Jackson back in, in, the, uh, in the 19th century. So, so that actually is a recurring theme in American life. What was more unusual in Trump's inaugural address, I thought, was its um, its darkness, the sense of, you know, we're on the precipice of, of uh, falling apart in various ways, which is more unusual for that sort of address. You know, that inaugural address seems like 25 years ago, not 25 days, doesn't it? <laughs> so much has happened so quickly. Oh, boy. It's like being some some space-time dilation experiment where each day is full of more events than we're used to in, in every six months. 
Ellen in Lumberton, North Carolina. You're on Indivisible. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Thanks. I think that the the worst norm uh, that I can think of that's going on in our government these days is the norm that we used to have that uh, our both parties used to work, discuss civilly the issues at hand, the, pe- the things that really affected the American people, and come up with a compromise. And that norm has definitely gone out the window, and that started last time. Unfortunately, where now the new minority party is trying to do the same thing as the other minority party did and and obstruct the business of the American people. Ellen, thank you. And James Fallows, because you have lived long enough to have seen some history here, um, is there a point? Is there a point where you can say that it started? Because Democrats right now will say, oh, well, look what they did to Obama. Republicans will say, oh, look what they did to Bork. Uh, Or even Nixon, where resignation was the only acceptable option after a while. Can you trace back to day zero in this uh, political polarization or not really? So it was the case with any entrenched disagreement that any side can say, well, it started here, and they'll say, what about that, what about that, whether we're talking about you know, the Middle East or China and Taiwan or whatever. I think there is this analytically correct point that starting in 2006, when the Republicans held the White House with George W. Bush and the Democrats took the Senate back, which they'd been out of for a while, from 2006 through the next uh, six or eight years, the filibuster uh, by Mitch McConnell was used in a dramatically greater way than ever before. I think it was the case most of the filibusters in American history happened between 2006 and, let's say, 2014. So in recent history, I, I think it is it is analytically accurate to say there was a big ramp up then. And, and, and the, the um, refusal to consider Merrick Garland as a Supreme Court nominee, there, that had not happened before. So while Again, any political party can say, well, what about this previous event? What about that? I think those are two two phenomena of which there's no obvious precedent. Fahad in Laurel, Maryland. You're on Indivisible. Hi, Fahad. Hi. How you doing? Uh, I just want to say that um, I've been following this show. I really like it and uh, really liking the stuff that Mr. Fallows has been, uh, has been saying. Uh, so I just want to make a couple of points. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of things are changing. A lot of uh, norms are being shattered. And you already made the point that not all norms are good, but some definitely, I mean, they're, uh, you know, good norms that should remain the same. But uh, the main point that I wanted to make was, you know, uh, and by the way, I'm not a, I'm neither a Trump supporter nor was a Hillary Clinton supporter. I was more on the side of Bernie Sanders. So I'm trying to keep an open mind, even though it's difficult to do so. So, so the thing I want to say, you know, Trump supporters, you know, they're they're big about saying that, you know, drain the swamp and we're going to change the whole world and you know we're going to change things. Uh, but but if you look at the recent scandal uh, with you know uh, General Flynn, you know, I mean, that's like kind of some of the same. And in fact, if you look at uh, Barack Obama's presidency, you know, he didn't have a scandal of that scale over the last eight years, whereas you know Donald Trump had it over the last uh, you know first few weeks of his presidency. Uh, so, you know, it's not so different in, in, in that way. And I totally disagree with the previous caller that he's, he actually said that, oh, I don't know if he's actually draining the swamp, but he said it. 
well, if you say something and don't do it, I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see much of a yeah. point there. So that, that was you know, Fah- my Fahad, th- thank you very much. So, James Fowlers, before you go, uh, I just want to get a thought or two from you about the news today and the Michael Flynn scandal. One is, I don't know if you heard the caller just before you came on, the woman who said, uh, hey, look, Barack Obama got caught on an open mic before his reelection saying to – uh, one of the Russians, maybe it was Putin himself, I don't remember. Um, you know, don't worry. Don't worry, after the election, you know, things will be okay. I can take the pressure off. Is this so different? I think it is different in that you have a, 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 a sitting president saying, as I remember the quote saying, you know, I'm going to have more freedom of action after this next election because I'm not running for anything anymore. That's sort of, that, that was an embarrassing thing for Obama to say, but he was saying it in his role as, you know, the actual candidate and commander-in-chief himself to, to, to be held, held accountable. There is something that we haven't seen before in this whole um, Trump and Russian situation. And there's never been a national security uh, – there's never been a national security advisor sort of who's had to, to lead, number one, this early, or number two, with any cloud suspicion about engagement with, with foreign nations. I mean, that, that just, just has, has not, not happened. And, and the oddity of, of Donald Trump being so rough on all of the nations with the startling exception of, of Russia, it just there's, – there's something here – that we don't now understand, that we don't yet understand. So I, I think it is, it's hard to find any real counterpart to what's the news of the last day or so. James Fallows, thank you so much for joining us on Indivisible. Thank you, Brian, and congratulations on the show. This land is your land. This land is my land. This land was made for you and me. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, that was Lady Gaga from the Super Bowl. We played that last week, too. I would make that our indivisible theme if we didn't already have one. That is so great. I'm Brian Lehrer on Indivisible, the show where we get out of our political bubbles and actually talk and listen to each other. Have you been listening to the callers from the other side tonight? This is not Fox News Channel or MSNBC. In CNN terms, think of this as the opposite of crossfire. We're going to keep searching for those places where people who voted for Trump and people who didn't can find common ground or at least respect one another's humanity. Is that too crazy to have one show in the media like that? Maybe at least on Valentine's Day, it's not too crazy. So here's our Valentine's Day invisible challenge for you. If you come from a mixed political relationship, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, has the start of the Trump administration put new stress on your relationship? If so, over what issue? And if you're in one of those relationships, will you send your partner a radio valentine tonight? Like, honey, I've learned something from your political views that I now appreciate, and I'm better for it. 844-745-TALK, 844-745-TALK. And for Valentine's Day, despite your differences, can you call in with a political Valentine for that person tonight? It's simple enough. We want you to tell us about how politics has stressed your relationship since the inauguration or maybe back since the campaign, but also tell them, honey, I've learned something from knowing you. I don't always agree with you. Sometimes you drive me crazy, but what? There's a but at the end of that sentence. And happy Valentine's Day, 
1-800-795-TALK. Or another way to ask the question, since this show is about norms and values, are you in a relationship with someone who holds different American values from the ones you were brought up with or the ones you thought you believed in? And how is that relationship? How has it made you think differently about yourself and about your beliefs? Maybe you were um, someone who thought you'd never fire a gun in your life, and you think that the Second Amendment should be repealed as a public safety measure, but you went to your girlfriend's house and saw how their family hunted and used guns in a different way and really liked their guns, and you walked out of the house a little bit changed for the experience. Or maybe your best friend came out as gay to you, and you weren't sure what to say when they wanted to come out further. We actually have a story like that that we're going to play for you in a minute to help us um, get this conversation going. And to help set it up is Anna Sale, host of the WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, which is all about people's surprising stories. Hi, Anna. Welcome to Indivisible. Hi, Brian. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, And Anna, people should know how comfortably you cross many of these American lines. You grew up in West Virginia, went to college in California, did public radio in New York, then married a guy from Wyoming and had your baby there last year. You know Republican Senator Alan Simpson out there personally. Now your husband and baby and you are back in California, and you've been a lay minister, and you attend a Unitarian church. With all the people you know, personally and professionally, do you feel like you see some fault lines that other people don't, and maybe even have a reaction listening to the first uh, minutes of the show? I guess so. I mean, I, I certainly like, you know, when I think about what it's like back home in West Virginia right now, I really feel for the sensitivity for places that aren't feeling prosperous right now. Um, and so, and then I'm living in Berkeley, California right now, where there were riots on campus yeah, not long ago about the, where we are in free speech. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of all these things and how deeply personal it all feels to all of us. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to right. listen better and also where, where my lines are and, and trying to be clear on my values as I move through all of these different... When we, when we come back from the break, we're going to play that clip of you talking to somebody whose friend surprised them by coming out. And then we'll take those happily many calls that are coming in for people to talk about their relationships. Stay with us on Indivisible. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible. The number to call is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. I'm Brian Lehrer, your Tuesday Night Indivisible host, along with Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, as we ask the questions, has the start of the Trump administration put new stress on your relationship? If so, over what issue? And if you're in one of those relationships, will you send your partner a radio valentine tonight? Like, honey, I've learned something from your political views 
that I now appreciate, and I'm better for it. And for Valentine's Day, uh, um, since the show is about norms and values, are you in a relationship with someone who holds different American values from the ones you were brought up with or the ones you thought you believed in, and how has that relationship made you think differently about yourself and your beliefs? Our phone number is 844 I'm, uh, yes, it is. 844-745-TALK. Sorry for almost mangling that. I'll give it to you again. 844-745-TALK. 844-745-8255. And I want to set up this clip from your show about losing a friend, not a lover, but a friend who mattered over coming out. Yeah, we, we are doing an episode all about breakups. It actually comes out tomorrow. And this is a story that a listener named Cynthia Panalva sent in from Miami about losing her best friend. He was my rock. He was my person. I really miss that. Her breakup was with her best friend. They'd been really close for about 15 years, starting when they were teenagers growing up in Miami. They went to the same church. Their families knew each other. They even worked together. So we saw each other like six days a week. And then one day, they had a conversation that changed everything. I remember that he was trying to beat around the bush. And I asked him, are you coming out to me? And he didn't answer that. And I, he was so scared telling me. And I was so scared for him. I was just worried for him. What were you worried about? I was worried that his family was going to disown him and that it would change everything between us. So he heard you saying, you know, I'm, I'm worried for you, so mm-hmm. maybe, think, maybe think twice about whether you want to come out because you might lose a lot. Yeah. Which to him might have sounded like don't come out. Yeah. Is there something you wish you'd said in that conversation that you didn't say? God, yeah. I relive that moment a lot. I wish I would have said, I'm here for you. How can I help? <laughs> um, how can I make this easy for you? Or who is he? All, all I can't wait to meet him. That, that kind of thing. I wish I could have said that. Have you told him that? Yes. Yes, I've since tried as many times to reach out and open things up and try and try, but I think it's too late. That story from the WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, Anna Sale, the host with us. Anna, before we go to the phones, what's the moral of the story, do you think? That story, I think, is so sad because it just shows you know, the regrets that can come when you are reactive in a moment uh, because you think something doesn't align with your worldview and then the way it can just explode the closest relationships in your life. All right, listeners, now I'll take some of your stories. Has the start of the Trump administration put new stress on your relationship? If so, over what issues? And if you're in one of those relationships... Can you find it in yourself to send your partner a radio valentine tonight? Like, I've learned something from your political views, honey, that I now appreciate, and I'm better for it. Kristen in Little Rock, you're on Indivisible. Kristen, thank you so much for calling us. Thank you for taking my call. This show is good for my soul, so thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
What's your story? Well, my, I voted for Hillary and uh, staunchly, and my husband voted for Trump. Um, and I, w- it's, I would say it's greatly affected little everyday things, uh, such as we used to love watching Saturday Night Live together, The Daily Show, um, all, all those fun political shows. And now um, it's too awkward, I would say, to watch those things together huh. at times because the things we used to laugh at um, in our in our evening time, stuff that I think is funny, he doesn't think is funny. Stuff that he thinks is funny, I don't necessarily think it's funny anymore. Um, and is it not only that you don't find each other's humor funny or taste in entertainment, you know, that's funny, uh, political um, funny, but that you kind of feel enraged by it? Yes. And, and in the, I would say in the past, and, we've, and the thing is, we've always had our views, our American values are the same. I think uh, I think the way that he thinks they're going to be accomplished is different, and the way that I think they're going to be accomplished is different. I would say our core values are the same. Like what kinds, um, what kinds of values? Just the basic, I would say his, his voting for Trump, I recognize what it's done for me is I know my husband's a good man. I know he's got a good heart. He's very intelligent. And him voting for Trump has helped me to view other Trump supporters more more openly. Because I know if he, if he has good motivation, uh, I think he felt uh, he was working hard and still unable to provide for our family in the way that he wanted to. Um, and so I know his motivations are good. Mm-hmm. And, and it helps me to see other Trump supporters in a more open way with hope that, that they, too, have those those equal motivations, if that makes sense. Yeah. Anna, you want to get in on this? You're the expert at interviewing people with these kinds of stories. Well, I just wonder, like, so so are you enjoying each other when you're not watching cable TV these days? Yeah. Are you able to get outside yes. of it? <laughs> yes. I think we mostly right now, it's still, for me, it's still raw. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of hard to have that discussion. And, and um, so, for the most part, yeah, we enjoy each other immensely, uh, but we kind of steer clear from this right now, a, a big event. We, we talk about it kind of wading the water, and I think as the, as the time goes on, we'll, we'll wade in a little deeper each week, but um, it's, still, it's still kind of the emotions are kind of raw. What did you <laughs> learn about your husband's Trump supporter friends that you learned to appreciate? You said you learned some things to appreciate. Can you put one of them into words? Well, <laughs> I think I'm more, uh, so my friends are all, you know, heartbroken that uh, Hillary lost. I think I'm more, and they, they speak sometimes a bit derogatorily about the Trump supporters. And I think I've learned um, not so much about my the, the Trump supporters, but through seeing my own husband's motivations, I think I've learned that hopefully their motivations are as good as his were. Kristen, I hear you. Th- thank you so much. I really appreciate your call. I think all these calls take some courage right now, these kinds of stories. Mo in Massachusetts, you're on Indivisible. Hi, Mo. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, so, yeah, this 
um, this era is probably, I can maybe foresee, I hate to be pessimistic, but perhaps the undoing of my marriage. Oh, my. Well, yeah, that sounds pretty extreme, but what we have going on is um, pretty extreme. I mean, the you know, the earth under our feet is perhaps quaking. I hate to put it that way, but... Um, so, yeah, my you, husband doesn't seem in... to believe uh-huh. that there is global warming going on or that we have anything to do with it. And um, there is no doubt in my mind for the last 25 years or so that things have been changing really rapidly. Um, you know, everything from how the sun feels on your skin in the summer to, um, you know, that winters aren't winter anymore. And there's just a complete denial about, you know, just really elemental topics such as that. And, um, you know, I'm a person who is inclusive with uh, my fellow humankind, whether they be foreigners, people I've never met before, or people down the street who are in need. And I realized, um, especially during this new presidential um, situation that we're in, that uh, there is a great anxiety, and I don't think that it only is with my husband, um, a lack of inclusion and a lack of mm. desire to include mm-hmm. people who are different than we are, perhaps. And the the election of Donald Trump really brought some of this stuff, I have a feeling you debated global warming before, but really brought some of this stuff about other kinds of people to the fore, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, certainly the world is at a population level um, where people are, I think, feeling a little bit of a bind. Um, but we're not feeling that mm. where we live here. So you're I not you're think. not sending your husband to Radio Valentine tonight. It doesn't seem like. No, can't do it. <laughs> Anna, Anna, can you help this couple? Or not really? I don't know. I mean, I think that's the hardest part about political arguments is, like, any argument you have in a relationship, it's like, what is my thing that I just cannot compromise on? And I think it sounds like in this moment of heightened emotions and the kind of raw politics that we're in that um, some fault lines are are getting exposed. Yeah, and and Mo, I appreciate you having the courage to share that story on the air. And um, there'll be some numbers about this at some point, Anna, right? I have a feeling if Mo's marriage does wind up breaking up, it's not going to be the only one right now. Yeah, so take care of yourself, Mo. Sorry. Let's try Jared in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Jared, you're on Indivisible. Hi. I'm so pleased to talk with uh, with you both. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I would like to, if I may, um, talk about how this uh, election cycle and sort of new era politically has actually brought a relationship of mine closer together rather than split apart, if that's okay, uh-huh. except it, it had to do with a pretty dynamic and significant shift in my own way of thinking Um, as it pertains to the gun debate. So um, my stepfather is a pretty staunch um, supporter of the Second Amendment and owns all kinds of guns and uh, ammunition, so on and so forth. And I had had 
many significant debates and, and <laughs> for all intents and purposes, battles with him about the sort of righteousness of that and the, um, the, whether or not it was safe to own guns and all that stuff. And I have, to be completely honest, recently come to a, a different reckoning, reckoning about that debate to the extent to which that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost assuredly going to purchase a, a, a handgun of my own. Um, and that admission that I made to my stepfather recently has softened our relationship and uh -huh. given us the ability to kind of speak more compassionately to one, to one another about not just the gun issue, but about many other issues as it pertains to our current political climate. Right. And I think that that was really interesting. Um, and it required me to actually change my way of thinking um, rather than sort of look at my stepfather as the enemy. Boy, I wish you were married to Mo. <laughs> I, I, I am married to a, a wonderful woman my, my, myself, who I don't have those debates. So that's probably why we are we are still married. Um, Jared, but, thank you, thank you very much. I'm going to leave it there for time. But but Anna, it's always great to hear somebody talk about their own introspection and how they looked into themselves and grew from knowing another person. I'll bet you hear those stories less often than you would like on uh, Death, Sex, and Money? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like we're all, we're all trying, but I, I think it's a, it's a moment where um, our fight-or-flight <laughs> impulses are being activated uh, politically, and so figuring out how to communicate across that is it's, it's tricky. Yeah. Caleb and St. Paul. You're on Indivisible. Hi, Caleb. Hi there. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Tell us your story. Yeah. So I, I met my wife when uh, we were both uh, ages for the House of Representatives in 2009. And uh, at that time, I identified as a libertarian and did so for years after. Uh, but after uh, being an intern uh, in uh, Washington, and uh, being asked to research SSDI reform, Erin uh, and I started to talk a lot about her political values. And uh, now uh, she's been my wife for three years, and uh, I've uh, been identifying as a democratic socialist for, for some time uh, because of uh, my conversations and my relationship with my wife. Fasc wow. Fascinating. Give us one yeah. more. Give us one more detail. Like, what, yeah, did, what well, did she say, or what did you discover about yourself? Well, I, I think I, I realized that uh, in uh, the United States and around the world, if we're going to defend each other, if we're going to stand next to each other, we ought to be defending each other from treatable medical maladies, starvation, homelessness, and all of the other things in this world that uh, kill and hurt more people uh, every day than uh, a lot of the issues that are discussed on, uh, well, discussed generally uh, on on, uh, in, on in the shows media. like this. Yeah, Anna, you want to get in on this? I'm just curious. You still working in politics? I, I'm not. I'm I'm currently a student. Huh. What would you say yeah. in a radio Valentine to your wife tonight? Oh. I, I suppose I'd uh, thank her for her openness and her uh, willingness to uh, stand by somebody with uh, uh, very different 
uh, political uh, opinions when we uh, first met, and I, I am just very thankful for her having uh, brought me to uh, the values that I hold today. Caleb, thank you very much. Isn't that sweet, Anna? That is sweet. Yeah. I don't think we have time to do another one justice, so why don't you talk to us for just a minute about doing Death, Sex, and Money? Because you started it. When I first knew you, you were a national political reporter, and you were traveling the country doing political interviews with regular voters uh, as well as politicians, and you discovered that people were really more interested in telling stories about death and sex and money <laughs> than really talking about the candidates, but they intersect somehow, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why these political debates that we have with our partners and our family members are so hard because it's about our most personal feelings of vulnerability and what we value and who we are. And so when I would talk to voters during the presidential campaign, it wasn't long before they were saying, I wish my husband could feel like he was earning enough money for us. I wish that, uh, you know, since I've gotten divorced, I've realized how important it is to have student loan reform for my kid, who I need to send to college now. So these who we are and these personal relationships and what make up our life are what make up our political identities. And so when there's debate that you can't get to a place of resolution with your partners, it can be really hard. Um, but can I, can I also offer a, a Valentine, Brian, if before can, we go? If you can do it in 10 seconds. I can do it to my husband, Arthur, who, thank you to, I, I often am on Twitter. He, ta- he makes me pause and think harder beyond the conventional wisdom. And I really appreciate that in our relationship. Anna Sale hosts the beautiful podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Thanks, Anna. Happy Valentine's Day to you. And to you, Brian. Thank you. This is a tough time. People think American norms are challenged, not just policies, norms of honesty and public service and more relationships are being tested by our divisions. But we're also learning, we hope. Tomorrow on Indivisible, conservative talk radio personality Charlie Sykes speaks with UC Berkeley law professor and former Bush aide John Yu. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.